Next Wednesday, there will be an awards ceremony for the girls' ministry and the Royal Rangers. So next Wednesday, 7 o'clock, the, there's going to be an invasion of, of children that are going to come in here. They're going to be awarded for all of their hard work and diligence. Uh, and then right after, they're going to have some refreshments next door. So come and support our kids. And one thing that we need to include in there, bring some socks not dirty socks you can if you like that would make it interesting we bring some clean socks and they're going to have a faux snowball fight it's a lot of fun but uh, then afterwards they're going to gather those socks up and make donations and so please bring some socks you can bring them sunday and uh, but if you can't get them here by sunday bring them next uh, next wednesday and if they're used make sure they're clean god bless you and uh, right after service tonight uh, there will be a meeting uh, for those that would like to help us. Anybody is welcome to join us. We're going to be in room 103, and we're going to be talking about an, uh, the uh, wrestling match that's coming up on the 22nd of February. The Christian Wrestling Federation is going to be here, and uh, Mr. Trevor Wooten is going to be helping us with that. But uh, we're going to have a concessions. We're going to have lots of activities and advertisement to get ready for this. And so if you'd like to participate, I think the last one event they had, they had over 200 people there. And so they come and put on a big show, and uh, also they give a presentation. We're going to use this as a missions fundraiser. So come and help us. If you would like to participate, meet us right after service tonight in room 103. Amen? Amen. Let's look here to the Word of God. Let's look here in 1 Samuel 22 and then 1 John, the second chapter. Father, we pray tonight that, Lord, you would encourage every heart and every individual. Lord, let every distraction, Lord God, be brought to a holy hush. And, Lord, I pray tonight that, Lord, your will and your word will penetrate our heart and we will go out more confident, Lord God, in you than what we did when we came in. Amen? Let's look here at 1 Samuel, the 22nd chapter, and I want to look at just two verses here. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to them. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who was discontented, gathered to him so he became captain over them and there was about 400 men with him now first john the second chapter in the sixth verse he who says he abides in him ought himself he abide in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked now as we look here Let's go back to 1 Samuel as we're looking at this passage tonight. And this is something the Lord just laid on my heart in prayer. As I just began to meditate and think about those who began to follow David. And as those began to follow David, you notice there they were, they were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontent. We find out that it says they, as the, the scene prior to this was David was running from uh, Saul who was throwing spears wanting to kill him. 
He went down to Gath and he was recognized and he couldn't find a means of escape and so, uh, or afraid he was going to be recognized even further and Saul would find his whereabouts. So he went and hid himself in the cave of Adullam. Now as he's there, his relatives, his mother, his father, his brothers found out where he was at and they made their way over there. Then we find out there was also a, a company of 400 people that gathered. Those, many of those were his family members. Many of those were, were just people that were loyal to him. But because of King Saul, if you were loyal to David, it meant you were disloyal to him. And so they gathered to escape the wrath of Saul, and they made their way over and began to follow David. Now, some believe maybe that they followed him more for David's sword and his sling than they did for his psalms. That they followed David because he was the anointed king. That's just a bit of history there as we look at King David. But we see that the persons gathered where they started out, they were disappointed, they were in debt. Or they, they were distressed, they were in debt, they were discontent. How many know it's not a big a deal as where you start as to where you finish? We may start out as the lowliest of the low. We may start out what many of us feel like is on a negative. Some of us in here feel like that we started maybe not, we started below zero. We started way, way, way back at the end of the line. Maybe at the wrong place and the wrong time too many times, but you find yourself at a, at a place and you feel like maybe your starting point had some disadvantages. But it doesn't matter where you start, folks. What matters is where you end up. They followed the anointed king. They followed the anointed king. And they went from those who were distressed and debt and discontented to become David's mighty men. For what reason? They followed the anointed king. Get that in your spirit tonight. They followed the anointed king. There was one particular individual at the end of the, uh, end of the story or towards the end of the story in 2 Samuel 23, 1 Chronicles 11, begins to describe David's mighty men. We find out one got his name because he killed 800 men at one time. And we find out that David's 400 became 600 later on as they traveled. And not all of them had the greatest reputation, but they ended up with the name as the mighty men of David. We see that of this company of those who were in debt, those who were distressed, and those who were discontent, now because they followed the anointed king, I stepped out and did something that maybe they otherwise would not have done. One man killed 800 of the enemies of Israel. It was another, Eleazar, one of the three mighty or the mightiest of the men of David. He went out and defeated the Philistines who were gathered for a battle. The men had retreated, but he arose and attacked the Philistines 
And he fought them so vigorously and so harshly that he was known as the man whose hand was stuck to the sword. All that the church would get their hand stuck to the sword. Amen? As we go out into battle, we reach for the sword and we hold on to the sword and we see the strength of the sword of God's word until the battle is ended. And we find out that he came out victorious. Shama, who went out into the found a troop, and every time that he would go out to reap his field, there the Philistines were coming out to, to destroy and to overtake. But instead, he stood his ground and he brought forth the harvest because he destroyed the enemy. Amen. I believe, church, if we're going to have a harvest, we're going to have to stand in the field. We're not going to get it done sitting at the house. Amen. Now, thanks be to God, you endured the weather and the elements to get out here. Thank you so much for coming on this dreary Wednesday night. But I want to say to you that we've got to have folks that will get in the field. And they will stand their ground against the enemy because the enemy will come. He will come with offenses. He will come with, with attacks that you're not even expecting. There was another brother of Joab lifted his spear, killed 300 men. Now, this is part of those that were there in the cave. Think about it. They were in the cave with David. They started out in debt. What did it mean by them being in debt? Saul's kingdom brought taxation upon the people. And there was such usury that was taking place. If you ever found yourself in debt, then it was near impossible to ever get out of debt. You would remain there with all of the taxations that took place. Those that were distressed. The word distressed means literally those filled and suffering with anxiety, sorrow, and pain. See, they, they ran after David. They were loyal to David. Thus, they were disloyal to King Saul. And so they ran into that cave because their life was in jeopardy. Because Saul's anger against, towards David was so violent that they feared for their very life. That he would start killing off the family of David. But we see that's not where they ended up. There was another one that I, I enjoy reading about him. You've read about him before, I'm sure. But he killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also went down, and he's the one who went down to the pit uh, uh, on, a, on a snowy day and killed a lion. I think if you're going to kill a lion, you should do it on a sunny day. Amen? But instead, he went on a, on a snowy day, got in a pit, and killed a lion. But what really intrigued me about him is there was a, an Egyptian who came out with a, with a spear, and all he had was a staff in his hand. And this Egyptian was seven foot, seven foot six inches tall. Could have played in the NBA, dunk without even jumping. But he was out there and he went, took his staff, and he wrestled the spear out of the, out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. So he was renowned among many of David's mighty men. But how did they get that status and that stature? It's because they followed the anointed king. Now I want you to hear this. David was a physical man. We understand that. But David's also a type. He's a type of a warrior king. 
And we understand that one day through him would come forth the king of all kings and the lord of all lords, the greatest warrior of humanity that ever stepped foot on the face of the earth, and his name is Jesus. And in my input to you tonight is this. If you will follow the anointed warrior king, you, it doesn't matter where you start. It, it, as long as you continue to follow the Lord, God will not only take you out of the depth of sin, out of the distress of sorrow and anguish, and out of discontentment, but he'll put you on the road to life, and he will enable you to be all that you need to be for him. But we must follow the king. We have to follow the king. Where do we follow the king? Well, we follow him to the garden, do we not? When we go to the garden, we must follow him in prayer. He prayed there with great anguish, and he cried to the Father, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me in the same breath. He said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He resisted in flesh so much that his sweat became great drops of blood. He, we must follow the Lord to the garden where we submit our will to him. Amen? We've got to follow the king. He shows us the path of life. We follow him from the garden to the cross. When we get on the cross, we are crucified with Christ. And what we discover is that our debts have been paid. Amen? We'll get into this a little deeper in just a moment. But from the cross, we go to the tomb. And from the tomb to the upper room. But God didn't bring us to the upper room to, for us to sit and enjoy Pentecost. But he has empowered us for a mission. And that mission is he's sending us to the nations. Amen? So we go to the garden, to the tomb, to the, to the cross, to the upper room. So that ultimately we can go to the nations. What we see here is what we understand. And this is what brings us to 1 John 2 and 6. We're talking about following the anointed king. We know as we say this, we're not talking about David. We're speaking about Jesus Christ and following him. As we look here to 1 John 2 and 6, He who says he abides in him, capital H, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. In other words, if we abide in Christ, we should also walk and be as Christ. Amen? Now, I was looking across one of my favorite authors and ran across a couple of statements, and I want to share those with you. Andrew Murray writes this, Abiding in Christ and walking in Christ. Those two things. These are the two blessings of the new life that are here set before us in their essential unity. The fruit of life in Christ is a life like Christ. Did you get that? The fruit of a life in Christ is a life like Christ. Why are we called 
Christians because we should be individuals who are like Christ. And if we abide in Christ, then we will walk in Christ. But we can't walk in Christ if we are not abiding in Christ. And if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one, then the anointed one lives on the inside of us. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, then we can ask according to his will, according to his word. We can ask what we desire according to the will of the Father, and it shall be done. Lord, give us the heathen, give us the nations, give us the schoolyards and the courtyards and the, and the capital hill. Lord God, give the voice of the Lord in the land today. Almighty God, give back all that the enemy has stolen. Give us, Lord God, the strength and the courage to be what we're called to be. Mm. If we abide in Christ, we may not act otherwise than he did if we abide in Christ we have to act like Jesus amen if I'm not acting like Jesus then I'm not abiding abiding precedes the walking like him and the word of the Lord tells us in these signs shall follow those who believe in my name you shall cast out demons they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. Mm. If we abide in Christ, then we will be like Christ. And if we abide in the Lord, then we're going to walk like the Lord. But we can't walk like the Lord if we're not abiding like the Lord. There were men that began to follow after the anointed King David. And what did they begin to do? They followed him because they saw what the Lord did through him. And what the Lord did through him was slay the giant that was out in the midst of the valley with a sling and a stone. And by the name of the Lord, that giant fell. Now David was renowned. He was known for being a giant killer. And word got out that Samuel made his way to Jesse's house and poured the anointing there upon that shepherd boy. Everybody else uh, was there looking at a shepherd boy. When his brothers disdained him, didn't bother calling him in from the field. When his father didn't even worry with him because one of my other six sons would have been okay. Let me tell you, it's not okay until the father says it's okay. The word of the Lord tells us that day, he said, we're not going to, Samuel said, we're not going to sit down uh, until David shows up. I believe, folks, uh, it's time that we get ready. I believe the world is weary of standing because it's waiting upon the sons of the living God to stand up and to show up in this day. And we need to show up with Christ-likeness. We abide in the Lord. You know what the Lord showed me in Mexico when we went to Puebla? We've been down there several times, but having that length of time there and going to so many different venues and so many different occasions to present the gospel, there were manifestations after manifestations of demoniacs. But you know what? It didn't stop the power of God. 
in the midst of the service when the demons were crying out of people and acting goofy. Let me tell you what was happening. The spirit of the living God was moving and changing lives. And people were laid out like cordwood in the altar because the glory of the power of God is greater than any demonic force in hell. And let me tell you, the spirit of the living God can take the mightiest among us and lay us so far down on the carpet we could see the very fibers of it. Let me tell you, the glory of God is returning to the house of the Lord. Why? Because it must. It has to. There's a ravenous hunger being released in the children of God because the children of God are sick and tired of stale bread. We want some fresh manna from heaven. We're going to get up every day and go get it. We want God in the house. And we won't settle for politics in the place. We won't settle for the disgruntle in the house because our debts have been paid. We are not discontent, but we are contented in the Lord. We're no longer suffering in the pain. God has heard our plea, and he has come down, and he has delivered us. Oh, folks. I want you to get so energized when you come to the house of God. This is the Super Bowl. It's halftime, and we're going to win this game because I've looked at the scoreboard. I've been to the back of the book. But you know those coaches at halftime in those championship games? They're not in there saying, you poor babies. I hope you all get up and do good. Oh, I'm sorry there. Come here, number 63. Let me kiss your boo-boo. No, that coach is like, suck it up. We got to win this thing. Fight like champions. I don't care what the score is on the board right now. What my concern is is the score on the board when we're finished. Get out there and do your job. Yeah. Amen. I'd rather have that. I was the littlest guy on our football line at the time, but I've exceeded that since. But when I was playing football there with a lineman, I was played a tight end. My coach would get me in there, and he'd say, come here, Sanders. He'd get all those big, hefty fellers up there. We'd have this drill where I had to tow the line, and he'd just run them at me. He said, now, you show me. You show them why I start you. I was like, oh, good gosh. Here they come, just one after the other. Bam, 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 bam. Knock me down, knock me over, run over me, step on me. He's like, good, Sanders. Now, get up, dust it off. Here comes the next wave. And I get back in there. He kept telling me, hold your water, hold your water. I was like, what are you talking about? Anyway, that's just a little reminiscent of my past. has nothing to do with nothing. <laughs> Maybe it was some bitter, some bitter anguish that was deep in my soul that I had to get out. Anybody have coaches like that? They'd yell and scream at you. And the more they yelled and screamed at you, the more you were convinced that they loved you. Because they knew your name, at least your last name. Come here, Sanders. You want me or the other Sanders? I want you, you big lug. Get over here. Grab me by the face mask, shake my helmet, spit all up in my face and in my nose, and just like, would you please get a breath mint? <laughs> Throw me back in there. Get out there and play. You know what, folks? I need some coaches in the house of God. That to shake some people up. Shake that offense off of them. Throw them back in the game. Shake that herd off of them and get them back in there. 
Go on and abide in Jesus. If he endured it, you can too. Why? Because he's inside of you. Oh, it's not because anything we can do. We're not tough enough. We're not mean enough. We're not determined enough. We can get talked out of anything. We can get talked off the wall. There is Zechariah, and he's there in the, in the temple, and the Lord has given him the promise that he and his wife Elizabeth have been waiting for for years and years and years, and now all of a sudden he's wanting to complain, well, I'm too old for this. You're not going to talk until this thing's done. <laughs> but then in the day that John was born, God released his mouth. His name shall be called John. I believe the voice of the church is coming back. Because the lion is going to roar in Zion again. And it's going to leave the crowd spellbound. If I will abide in Christ, I will walk in Christ. And my walking in Christ is a direct result of my abiding in Christ if my words abide in you you will ask what you will and it shall be done mm, God bring about bring about Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the devil Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the devil he who sins is of the devil clear and plain simple I didn't say it. The Lord's word tells us this. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus didn't come for fame and notoriety, folks. But rather, he came to destroy the works of the devil. You notice every time that he did a miracle, he'd say, now don't tell nobody, but they would just go out and tell them anyway. He didn't tell them as a backward psychology or, 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 or just reverse psychology, I was trying to say. He didn't tell them that so that, now, I'm just, I'm telling you this in secret, but I really don't want you to do anything with it. Not really, I, really, I don't want you to do anything with it. Go tell everybody, I'm, don't, don't do it. He literally didn't want them to say anything, but they couldn't help themselves. They go do it anyway. The reason Jesus was manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason he came. Now he said, I've got to go to the Father so that I can send the helper. Now when the helper comes, do you think he has another mandate besides what the original mandate was from the Lord Jesus Christ? No, 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 no. It's still the same. The reason why Jesus lives in our heart is by the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit, he destroys the works of the enemy through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it just a moment. You would not want to have Jesus do the eulogy at your funeral. Because you're not going to stay dead. He's going to mess up the florist. We've talked about this uh, last week or week before. When Jesus shows up, uh, he disrupts. Mm. That came right straight from who knows where. But let me tell you, it's good. Amen. When Jesus shows up, he disrupts. 
He's not concerned about any religious idols we have set up. He's not concerned about our comfort. He's not concerned about whether it makes us feel good, whether it makes us feel bad. What he's here doing is manifesting to destroy the works of the devil and people's lives. And when the spirit of the living God begins to pour out, there is disruption. You can't. You can't organize the move of the Spirit of God. It gets all over the place. When Jesus shows up, he messes up funerals. He messes up the Pharisees' idea of what forgiveness looks like. He doesn't let us rest upon our own merit, but he shows us that, yes, we were in debt. Debt that we could never, ever, ever pay. But he has come through the sacrifice of himself. He became a ransom for us all so that we may be free from the tyranny of the enemy. You can't bring, I'm telling you, the medical institution would be so mad at Jesus. The hospitals would be like ghost towns. Andy, I'm sorry, you'd have to find another line of work. No more emergency nurse anymore. You're going to have to go find some counselors. Melissa, I'm sorry. The Lord would just have to, he'd have to put you in a new vocation. No more counseling because the counselor would be there. He, he, he would settle the hearts and the minds and the fears and the worries and the anxiety. Uh, the medical institution would be out of business. Uh, and we could convert those into some sort of housing or something. I don't know. Resort, hotel. Uh, there's some nice facilities. I don't, I don't know what we would do with them. But there's coming a day, amen, where Jesus Christ is going to step on the mount of all as this world will recreate itself. And he ultimately will take this temporal world that we're living in and he'll put his eternal stamp upon that what we need to realize church is this we are eternal beings in a very temporal situation and if we can wrap our heart around that right there you're more than a paycheck at the end of the week there's more to be living for than yesterday's hurt and sorrow this life is a vapor. We only get so many days on earth, but we get all of eternity with Jesus. We are eternal, eternal beings. This body gives out, wears out, falls apart as it's doing daily. One of these days, it's, it's going to run out. Not going to be any more Mike Sanders in this physical body anymore. But Mike Sanders will not cease to exist. Because when I take my last breath on earth, I'll be taking my first breath in heaven. As I begin to excel on earth, I will be inhaling in heaven. It's his breath in our lungs. That's why we sing forth his praise. Folks, we are eternal beings in a temporal situation. We should make the most of the time that we have in this timeshare. Amen? Because eventually it's going to go back to dust. And the greater 
our understanding of that, of that statement that I just made, the greater the impact we will live while we're on earth. If we will know that what we do here on earth will have eternal impact on folks, but there's some things that we may be doing that will have no effect on no one when it comes time. Amen? Let's focus on what is real. Let's focus on what is serious in this hour. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who, all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus came to destroy destruction. Jesus came to destroy destruction. He came to destroy sickness. He came to destroy disease. He came to de destroy sin, and he came to destroy sorrow. He came to destroy Satan out of our life. Everywhere he went, that's what he accomplished. And let me tell you, just like David, and I, it's, it's, it's exciting to read about David's mighty men. But let me tell you, there are greater accomplishments that will take place in this house you're not going to go kill a seven-and-a-half-foot Egyptian. If you do, then you're going to start a brand-new prison ministry. Unless, of course, it's self-defense, and then there's a whole other story. But let me tell you, there's some seven-foot, six-inch giants that are here trying to steal our children that you're going to slay. With, with You're going to take the very spear that they're wanting to kill our kids with. You're going to rend it from their hands. And by the might of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you're going to impale them with the very weapons that were formed to destroy them. Are you hearing me? There's some shamas in the house. They're going to stand in the field and say, no more. Are you going to take this harvest from this house? Oh, give me some shamas at Crossroads Assembly of God. They'll say, oh, no, no, no. You're going you're gonna to get to the harvest. You're going to have to come through me. And the only way to get through me is to get through my king because he's the one I'm abiding in and thus I'm walking in him and if I'm abiding in him and walking in him he is the very disease destroyer he is the one who brings hope to the hopeless he's the one that breathes and worlds and life come into into broken bodies and broken minds he's the one who can and will and shall and is delivering those who are in need amen now the strength of this is what I want you to hear and I'm going to close those that were distressed those that were distressed full of pain and anguish we find out folks surely he hath borne our grief and he's carried our sorrow Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Anxiety. Distress means anxiety. It means worry. It means fear. Agitation. It's all those things combined in that word. They showed up that way. 
But then they began to follow the anointed king. They started out at that place. But oh, would you come to the realization that when Christ Jesus bore all of that on the cross, he paid for your peace full price. He paid for your restoration full price. He didn't go to the bargain bin and say, hey, could I barter with you over the humanity's needs? No. He said, Father, what you need, because you're the one who was injured, I will pay full price for the, by my suffering for all the sins, past, present, and future, for the children. If they will come, they may start out in the cave of Adula, but let me tell you, they'll end up in the chronicles of the histories of, of the Word of God. Their name will be written in my book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And in there it will record that I paid for them and they accepted. And now peace belongs to them. Those that were in debt that couldn't get out, they couldn't file bankruptcy. They lost it all. Nothing they could do in that day to pay back that unjust king. Jesus as we follow him, and we follow him to the cross, he pays for it all. And those that are discontented, let me tell you, contentment and godliness are great gain. Contentment and godliness are great gain. Paul said, I've learned that in all things to be content. I've learned in whatever state I am, therefore to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. And everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They followed the anointed King David. And I believe they got out of debt. I believe that as the new rule and the new king, they were no longer in debt. They were no longer distressed. They were no longer discontented. But as you and I follow the anointed king, and we realize our debts have been paid eternally. We're eternal beings in a temporal situation. God has paid our sin debt. We're not in that place anymore where we are distressed, suffering in anxiety and sorrow. If I am, then I just need to refer to Isaiah 53. He's paid for all of that. He bore that for me. And now he teaches me I can be content. I can be content. Before I came into relationship with Christ, I had no contentment. I was not satisfied with anything. I would try to go fill the void in my life with other substances that were not going to do me any good but only destroy. But when Jesus came, he destroyed that destruction. And he gave me value only in his sacrifice and acceptance of him. And every time that we get off track... 
and we all eventually and somehow we will. We just got to get back on track, get back in the word and continue to abide in him. And then we will walk in him because walking in him is preceded by abiding in him. Get back to the secret place. Follow him to the garden. Follow him to the cross. Follow him to the tomb. Follow him to the upper room. But ultimately, follow him to the nations as he's sending us out into our world with the message, Jesus is real. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord God. As worship team, I want you to come up tonight. I want you to come up tonight. Let's do a let's do a let's do an exercise in faith tonight. I want, if you will, every person in this room that is physically able. If you're not, I understand. If you just are not coming down here, that's fine. Okay, but I want you, to, if you will, 